Well, it's an honor for us to be here again this week, and my wife is able to join us, so uh, thankful for that, that she's able to be here with us this week, and uh, as we open God's Word. The message today is not necessarily a Thanksgiving message, uh, but definitely the song that we sang our best is very appropriate for the message. May the Lord find us faithful. You know, Thanksgiving on Thursday seems to be the forgotten holiday, uh, sandwiched between some other holidays, and and uh, Christmas coming up soon. And, and the Bible does tell us that people being unthankful is a sign of the end times. And we, we definitely live in a day and age when which people have forgotten thankfulness. We have so much to be thankful for, and counting our blessings is important because God has given us so much, much more than we deserve. And so this uh, week, as we go throughout this week, we give thanks for God, of course. First and foremost, we thank, we're thankful for family. We're thankful for all the blessings he has given us, and we want to be cautious, cautious to thank God for everything. Uh, he's, he's done so much for us. And we want to make sure that we are thankful people. The text this morning is going to be from 2 Timothy, chapter 4, if you'd like to turn there with me. 2 Timothy, chapter 4. And we're going to look at verses 6 through 8 is going to be our text. And the theme or the the, the title of this message is Legacy. Legacy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, we'll read in a moment, but before we do that, let's unite our hearts in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to open the scriptures. We thank you, Lord, for what you've done in our lives and, and the great salvation you provide if we will only receive it and accept it. And Lord, I pray now as we uh, open the scriptures, I pray it be your words that would be spoken, that you'd give me clarity of mind and thought, and, and that we would open our hearts to the leading of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to name some people, and in your mind, I would like you to think about what comes to mind. Abraham Lincoln. Okay, 16th president, uh, Gettysburg Address, uh, Civil War, assassination. Here's another one, George Washington, father of the country, great general, first president, of course. Here's another one, Adolf Hitler. Hmm. Yeah, we don't have to go into details there. Okay, let's make it a little more personal. And maybe a little bit harder. Think back to a teacher you had in elementary school or high school that made an impact on your life. What comes to mind when you remember a teacher? These are all examples of legacy, what these people have left behind. How do you 
Or what would you like to be remembered for when that time comes when you meet Christ face to face? What, what do you want your legacy to be that you leave behind that others remember you for? Paul here in 2 Timothy, he, he is writing this book as he is under arrest and he, he has escaped death many times as is mentioned in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul actually gives his testimony of being stoned, of being beaten, of being shipwrecked over and over. And he's escaped death several times, but he really now believes, as he writes 2 Timothy to a young Timothy pastor, that he's not going to be freed this time. He is waiting for trial before Nero, to appeal his case before Nero, and he really believes he is not going to make it out this time. This is the final curtain for Paul. And as Paul writes this passage, verses 6 through 8, it's Paul's testimony. But as I was looking at this passage, I'm thinking, okay, the Holy Spirit is inspiring him to write this. This was God's testimony of the Apostle Paul. And all I can say is, wow. For what was written. As the Holy Spirit is guiding Paul to write verses 6 through 8, I think, wow, what a testimony. In verse 6, Paul writes, For I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, so give me it that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. What a testimony for Paul. In verses, or verse 7, we're going to see three points about Paul's testimony. In verse 6, Paul says, I, I'm ready to be offered. I, I'm, I'm going to be put to death. I really believe that. I'm not going to escape this time. God's not going to deliver me this time as he has so many times in the past. It is now God's will that my departure from this life has come. And and Bible scholars tell us that within a few months here, Paul would be put to death. In verse 7, we have Paul's testimony of his life. And he had given his testimony before we read the book of Acts, toward the end of Acts. He had shared his testimony of salvation many times before those he had appealed his case to. In fact, we are told that Paul would have been released had he not appealed to Caesar and Nero. In verse 7, he says, I have fought a good fight. I have fought a good fight. The reference here is to being a good soldier. We are all in a spiritual battle. There's a battle that's raging within us and raging in our universe. It's a spiritual battle. We can't see it. We know it's there. The book of Jude actually talks about Michael contending with Satan himself. There's a battle taking place that we cannot understand. 
And I think it would scare us to death if we, if God would open our eyes and we could see the battle that's taking place between the angels of God and the demons of Satan. But there's also a spiritual battle that's taking place inside each one of us. And Paul says, I fought a good fight. I've been a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Flip back a few pages to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. I appear to have written down the wrong, the wrong reference. It's actually Second Timothy chapter two. Second Timothy chapter two, verse three says, "Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. We, upon salvation, have entered into the army of the Lord. We are soldiers. And we're fighting a spiritual battle. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us about this battle that's going on and it's, and it's, and it's raging within us. It's the battle of good and evil. Many times we like to point to this person or that person. There's, there, there's, there's, there's differences going on. There's fighting. It's the difference between good and evil. We, we see it evidenced very well in today's society. This battle between good and evil, between right and wrong. And in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul wrote about this battle that's taking place. That he said that he had fought the good fight. In verse 12 it says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We're not fighting against flesh and blood that we can see, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. He said there's this battle that's taking place, and, and Paul even wrote about this, this conflict that's within him that what he wants to do, he doesn't, and what he doesn't want to do, he does, because of this spiritual battle that's fighting within him. But in verse 13, he tells us, he starts to give us pieces of the armor that we can put on just as a soldier would put on the armor before he goes to battle. A soldier going into battle would be very vulnerable without his helmet. He'd be very vulnerable without, without an offensive weapon. He'd be very vulnerable without a defensive weapon. And he says, he says this, the same as with the Christian, we are to put on the pieces of the armor and don't leave any of it off. He talks about truth. He talks about the breastplate of righteousness protecting the vital organs, the righteousness. He talks about the peace, the shoes of, the, of, of peace. He talks about the shield of faith to fend off all of Satan's darts that he's throwing at us. He talks about taking the helmet of salvation, protecting the brain, the mind, the helmet. Talks about the sword of the spirit, which is our offensive weapon. And if you look at all of the pieces of this, of this armor, in verse 14, who is truth? Christ. In verse 14, who is righteousness? Christ. In verse 15, who is peace? Christ. In verse 16, who gives us faith? Christ. 
Who gives us salvation? Verse 17, Christ. Put on Christ. But then in verse 18, he gives the Christian an extra special weapon. It's called prayer. This is the special weapon of the Christian. He doesn't say put on prayer. He's saying this is your weapon. If, if, if you have the armor on, but you can come to the commanding general any time you want to through prayer. Come into the presence of God through prayer. We have a special weapon. And Paul says, I have fought a good fight. I, I, I've, I've been a good soldier. This is God's testimony of Paul that he had been a good soldier. He had fought the good fight. As he looked back upon his life and, and God gave testimony of what Paul had done since his point of salvation, he says, I fought a good fight. Number two, he says in verse 7 of 2 Timothy, I have finished my course. I have finished my course. Many believe that Paul was a very good athlete. And of course this was during the time of the Olympic Games. So Paul alluded to this at times about being a good athlete. Paul says, I'm comparing what I've been able to do in my Christian life through God's help to the athlete. He says, a a true believer should live a life just as disciplined as an Olympic athlete. We must run the race of life. Don't give up. As athletes run the race, they train diligently. In fact, many runners will actually put weights around their ankles when they train. To strengthen the muscles. Then when it gets time to run the race, they take those weights off and they set them aside. It would be foolish to run the race with those weights around their ankles. I mean, we're talking 10, 15, 20 pound weights. They set them aside because they know they can run faster without those weights on, but they've already, they've already done the training and so they're ready to run the race. And then the athlete will run as fast, as hard as he or she can with the goal on the finish line. Hebrews chapter 12 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He is at the finish line. But unlike the athlete in the Olympic Games, more than one or two people can receive a reward in the Christian life. You see, in the, in the Olympic Games, in, in, in a race, the first person receives the, 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 the reward for getting there to the finish line first. We're not all going to get to the finish line at the same time. It's not going to happen. Unless, of course, we're getting there through the rapture. You see, Christ is concerned with how we run the race. Someone once said, as, as they listen to media personality, that media personalities, and they're always praising the winner. Someone said, maybe the question should be, how did you play the game? Rather than, did you win? 
There's nothing wrong with asking who the winner is. But biblically, the, the point is, is how you run the race. Did you stray off to one side or the other side? Did you keep your eyes focused on the finish line? A horse running a horse race. Well, they'll put blinders on that horse so that it's got narrow vision. So it's, it, it can't stray and look all, to be distracted. It's focused on the finish line. Do we, as Christians, do we have blinders on focusing on the finish line? If we're not getting distracted with the things around us. 1 Corinthians 9 Verses 23 through 27, Paul wrote about running the race. Paul says, I don't want to be a castaway. When I preach to others, I don't want God to put me on a shelf. I want to run the race faithfully. In a marathon, not everyone can win, not everyone finishes. Some need help along the way. We're in the Christian race. God expects us to finish and finish well. I have finished my course. I have run the race well, Paul says, as a testimony. I'm, I, I, I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. He says, my race is about over. I'm about to the finish line. I'm about there. And third, he says, I have kept the faith. I have kept the faith. This Paul was referring to, that he was, he was a faithful steward or manager of what God had given him. God had entrusted a lot to Paul. He wrote half of the New Testament. And he says, I, I, I've, 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 I've done my best to be faithful to God and to handle the gospel message with care. First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. You flip over there. First Corinthians 4, 2. First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. It's a verse that's probably familiar to most, if not all of us. It says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Paul says, I've been faithful. The, the word steward means the overseer of an estate. The steward in this time period was always a slave, subject to the master. But the steward was placed in charge of the other slaves throughout the master's house or estate. He controlled the staff and ran the whole operation for the master. He was set over others, yet he himself, him, himself was still a slave of the master. Paul writes that he was a servant of Jesus Christ. That word servant, is trans, it, was, it comes from the Greek word doulos, meaning slave. Paul says, I am a slave of Jesus Christ. I, I must do what he wants me to do. I must do what he wants me to do. Because I am his servant. I am his doulos. I am his slave. Paul says, I have no other choice. 
Paul says, I've tried to handle the word of God faithfully in the churches that, I, that, I, that, I've, that I've ministered. And he says, I've, I've been a good steward. I've kept the faith. I've been faithful to my Lord. What a testimony God writes here, has Paul write about his life. I, I, I fought a good fight. I've been a good soldier. I have finished my course. I've run the race well. I have kept the faith. I've been a good steward of what God has given me. In verse number 8, he says, Henceforth, or therefore, or because. This is, this is the testimony. Paul says, Henceforth, I have a crown of righteousness waiting. Now, the, 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 he says, A crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, God makes us, declares us righteous to allow us entrance into heaven. As through his, through the blood of Christ, that God can make us righteous. Paul says, I've got this crown of righteousness. That, that God has clothed me with the righteousness. Which God's going to give to me at that day. Now remember, the Holy Spirit is instructing Paul what to write. This is not an ego trip by the Apostle Paul. God is saying, this is what you're writing, Paul. And Paul is writing it. He says, there's this crown of righteousness which God is going to give to me. But it's not for me only. He wanted to make sure that that Timothy and the believers knew this was not a reward special. Or this elite reward for Paul, the Apostle Paul only. It's for any believer, verse 8, who loves the appearing of Christ. That's amazing. Who are those who are waiting for Christ's return? Those who love him. Those who have experienced the salvation that only God can give. Those who are waiting for Christ to return and, and are living as though he could return at any moment. Book of Titus, flip over a couple pages to the book of Titus, chapter 2. Titus, chapter 2, verse 11. says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that who referring to Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous, passionate, about good works. See, works is a result of our relationship with Jesus Christ. He says, we're looking for that blessed hope. Paul, the writer here of Titus also, he says, we're looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
So my challenge to you today is, what would you like your legacy to be? Parents with children want their children to remember that their mom and dad lived a life for God. What do you want your legacy to be in the light of God's word? We could go through and name many, many different people from, from history and, and, and that we would be very familiar with, and they all have a legacy they've left behind. We remember them for something. What do you want the world, what do you want to leave behind for the world to remember about you? Paul here, as he's about to be arrested or about to be put to death, he really believes this is it. As, as he writes this book of Second Timothy, he says, "I fought a good fight. I, I, I've been a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I, I have finished my course. I'm almost to the finish line. I've, I've run the race as best as, as I could through the power of God. He says, I've kept the faith. I've been faithful to my commanding officer, God himself. I've been a faithful manager. I've been a faithful steward of what God has given me. This is important, Paul says. This was testimony that Paul gives that we should glean from. He said he was going to receive a reward that God was going to give him a crown of righteousness. I wonder if we here would receive the same reward. We can. I wonder if we're looking, actively looking for Christ to return. A number of years ago, I was preaching a, a graveside service to, for a relative, and and a couple of men that I, the, the undertakers were there, and a couple of men that I worked with in the past up in, in uh, central Wisconsin, and and during the course of the of the uh, graveside service, I made the comment. I said, "I'm not looking to for the undertakers. I'm looking for the upper taker, God Himself." God himself. Are we actively living and working as though Christ could return at any moment? But if he doesn't return in our lifetime, what would you like people to remember about you? What's most important is what God knows us to be. But are we leaving behind a legacy that others can follow? A legacy for Jesus Christ. That's my challenge today. As we go through this week, coming month, consider Paul's testimony. And are we actively trying through the power of God to do these three things? To be a good soldier. Fight the spiritual battle well. 
to run the race well. And to be a faithful steward of all God has given us. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the time we've had together this morning. I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts in the days that you give us strength, that we would seek these three areas for our own lives. No one's perfect. We all fail. We confess it and go on. I pray that the Holy Spirit would have liberty to work in our lives today. And if there's someone following us today, live stream, if they've never received Christ, may they today make that decision and place their complete faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Apart from anything else, because Christ is all we need. He has done it all on Calvary. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask us in closing here if you would please stand and um, bow your heads in prayer. And I'm going to ask the pianist if she would play a couple of verses of a song as we just close the service. If God has spoken to your heart, I encourage you, either right where you are, just talk to him in prayer. This altar is always open as well. Make that decision for Jesus Christ today.